A psychotic atheist with a god complex strives to replace a fallen universe by perfecting creation through guided evolution? Are you just watching episode 140, Guardians of the Galaxy, volume 3? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy! Volume 3, 3, 3, 3. <laughs> Seems like there's an easier way to do that reverb. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. You know, I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I don't think there's any of them that I have not liked. And I think one of the reasons why, even as Marvel has been falling down this massive pit of social political (laughs) correctness or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. These movies have continued to entertain. And that is, I think, the reason why, even though we've been avoiding Marvel as a whole for like a year now, we could talk about Marvel and enjoy it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's why I have been enjoying Guardians of the Galaxy more consistently because, you know, they don't try to tackle social issues. Or they do so in in the classic way of sci-fi where it's not recognizable. Yeah, that they're making a point. Yeah, this movie is definitely a departure, I think, from the more recent Marvel tendency of preaching from the big screen. And I appreciate that. This is back to entertaining, funny, and just good entertainment. And so if you have been avoiding Marvel, this is a movie I think you can go watch with a clear conscience. There, And there's mm-hmm. some really good stuff to talk about in it as well, which makes it even more fun. So like most of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, this has a lot of classic music in it and not so classic in this one. I think they moved, you know, up a decade in the pop that they play. The score is by John Murphy. And, you know, I really didn't notice it when I was watching the movie. I didn't notice the score at all, which in some ways means it's a really good score. It was so much a part of the experience that it didn't stand out, but it wasn't so bad that it stood out as being bad. So I think that usually that's a good sweet spot for a score to hit. And the fact that they were, they do play pop music in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies because of the fact that Quill always has headphones on or earbuds yeah. in, at this ca- <laughs> in this case, listening to his MP3 player or whatever it is, is, you know, that's kind of part of the plot point for his character. So they play that music as part of his character. So, yeah, that's what you notice more than the score, which is more of the environment of the movie. You know, he had a Zune, which is a joke in and of itself, because, you know, when Zune came out, it was supposed to be the challenging victor to the iPod. And yeah, yeah, it didn't go well. There are actually 26 songs in the original soundtrack, which I wouldn't have guessed, because it seems like the other ones, you know, they had a lot more 
uh, the popular culture music. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until you were just talking about it, but it occurs to me that I didn't see Star-Lord put headphones on at all during this movie. And the one time where somebody touched his player, he objected because he didn't want to hear the music. Now, I think I did see him with, not headphones, but definitely earbuds in a couple scenes. Oh, okay. So, I probably just wasn't paying enough attention. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was usually when there was music playing. So, but most of the time the music was plugged into the, to like the ship or something. So everybody was listening to it. So that yeah. was, you know, like, especially the Nowhere, which is a big giant god's head, but a ship as well. Weird. Yeah. The, but, the skull of a celestial, I think yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think this movie, as I've already said, was amazingly not woke. And I know you don't like the term woke, but that's like everybody else uses the it's, term. So <laughs> It's growing on me. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some good definitions of it that make sense. <laughs> so from a conservative standpoint. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was amazingly not woke, which made me think maybe they barred the Disney agents of equity from the planning rooms. <laughs> I don't know, but the DEI agent, the yeah. DEI Disney agents. <laughs> yeah, the Disney equity, the D DEA. That's what it is. The Disney equity agents. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been completely barred from the production of this movie because the, while there was a lot of things in here to talk about and. I think they were more classic comic characters and situations, not the more current social yeah. wokeisms, which it makes it a lot more fun to discuss. And deeper issues. Yeah, I think they were deeper. They came across deeper instead of just like these shallow identity, you know, equity, all that yeah. stuff, thankfully. Mm -hmm. While this isn't my favorite Marvel movie, it's not going to go down like in the top five. It is definitely, I think, the best of the current stage of the MCU. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like, it's not even on the same chart <laughs> yeah, as well, the other Phase 5 The only movies. reason I say that is because if you include the most recent Spider-Man movie in there, I, it's still one of my favorite movies. So oh, that's my true. Topic. Yeah, that, yeah, I'd forgotten about. It's not no, Homecoming. No way home. Far from home. No way home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It yeah, No Way Home was a masterpiece. And so this is definitely one of the best. It's probably come second to No Way Home, but it is mm. definitely one of the best of the current stage. I did find it fascinating that they kept their crude humor to I Am Groot so that you got the reactions to what he said, but you didn't actually hear the crude humor. So yeah, I thought that was fascinating. It's implied. <laughs> yeah, and most of it's implied. Sadly, I think probably most children still got the humor. But, you know, that's just the culture we live in. That's that kind exactly. of stuff doesn't go over their head it, anymore. <laughs> it's because they have so much experience with it, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. And then, of course, the, the last thing that is a big deal to me is seeing Nathan Fillion in the movie. Of course, he will <laughs> always be Castle to me. I just when I see him, I think Castle, I have to go look his name up because to me, he will always and ever be ca <laughs> Castle above everything else. Uh, it's where I first saw him, even long before uh, Serenity and Firefly and all of that. Mm -hmm. He is forever in my heart as Richard Castle. Yeah. That, that was, that was cool. a good series. Yeah. 
the cameo that he played in here, it was so smoothly introduced that I didn't recognize him right away. And it was only when he started interacting with other people on, you know, like the main characters that I went, oh, wait a minute, that's Nathan Fillion. <laughs> or of mm -hmm. course, in my mind, it was, oh, that's Castle. <laughs> but yeah, I, it was really fun seeing him in there. I'm glad he got an extended cameo. I wasn't sure at first whether it was a cameo or whether it was just, you know, him taking a job as an actor, but I, I'm definitely sure it was a cameo. Yeah. Uh, so what's your definition of cameo then? Because I, I wouldn't have considered a cameo... I always think of cameos as small one-scene roles that last, like, maybe three minutes before the cameo person dies horrendously or, <laughs> or something like that. I think of cameos as being an obvious on-stage interaction with an actor that everybody knows and loves, and he's obviously in the film just so that everybody mm -hmm. can go, oh, look, there he is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that was obviously an, oh, look, that's Nathan Fillion. <laughs> We've been watching him on the ABC series, The Rookie. Mm. And while I love Nathan Fillion and I love his comic timing and his facial expressions, I, I wouldn't trade him for the world. In here, he does sort of play Nathan Fillion. And I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah, I loved it. It was it was a great cameo. I mean... It, he kind of stole the show for just a few minutes anyway. Yeah. Like you, I was very pleasantly surprised to, to not be subjected <laughs> to the wokeism. I really went in bracing myself for another Eternals or Multiverse of Madness. You know, this was this was just a fun, lighthearted-ish movie. Yeah. With some heavy themes Deep in themes. it. themes. Yeah. Yeah. So... As I was watching it, I was noticing all the, I almost call them callbacks, but they weren't callbacks to lines in the previous movies. It, it just shows how well they planned out all the story that they were going to tell because, you know, it's in the very first Guardians of the Galaxy movie where Rocket first starts saying, I am not a raccoon. Yeah. And he gets mistaken for different animals throughout all of his appearances. Well, I think in this one we had squirrel, we had muskrat, we had... Was weasel one of them? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Rat, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's like he gets called all kinds of things. Squirrel, I think, more more frequently than anything else. Yeah. Badger, maybe? Like, nobody yeah. knows what a raccoon is. Drop the badger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or we could just give him the badger. <laughs> I really appreciate when they tie stuff together like that. Yeah. And for my part, I felt like this movie was had a lot more of me in it than the rest of them. When young Rocket and his co-experiments are talking and that all just really clicked with me, hmm. made me feel better, especially at the end where he has this near-death experience. Right. And they were talking in an almost Christian theological way. Yeah, of the afterlife. yeah. And we're going to deal with that later. Yeah, that's actually yeah. going to be our last theme of discussion. So don't ruin it here. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. No, no spoilers. <laughs> actually, a couple of things surprised me. The first was, if you had not seen the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which was only available through Disney+, Plus. 
some of the stuff in this movie, I wouldn't say it didn't make sense, but you had to just accept it on faith. Mm -hmm. The fact that they were all living in nowhere, right. the giant celestial head, is actually established in the holiday special. Okay. And Peter's depression is talked about in the holiday special as well. And okay. There's one bit at the end in one of the post-credit scenes where you see a headline on the newspaper of Peter's grandfather where it says, Kevin Bacon claims abduction by aliens. <laughs> yeah, I think I did notice that. Yeah. But that was the plot of the holiday special. Drax and Mantis abducted Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I have to get a, another preview into Disney so <laughs> exactly. I can watch that. <laughs> you remember when they used to do preview weekends? Whatever happened to those? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, it, I'm was so surprised that they tied into the holiday special because, like so many geeks of my age, when I hear holiday special, I immediately think of Steven Spielberg hired repossession teams rappelling down through the skylights. To seize my contraband copy of the Star Wars Holiday Special, which is notoriously, infamously bad. Yeah. Yeah, one of my best friends is a big fan of that as well. She always l listens to it in the holidays. So she's a masochist? Okay. <laughs> there were some themes that the, the movie brought up that, you know, they don't quite rate full themes for us to discuss because we've discussed some of it quite a bit, and some of it just doesn't have enough content. But I appreciate that they put them in. Mm -hmm. There's a couple different, it might be too much to call it plot points, where there's language barriers. And you almost never see this in these movies. I mean, yeah. everyone in Star Wars and everyone, uh, everyone in Star, Star Wars Trek. In Star talks Trek, the always, same English, yeah. at least. A, they always said in Star Trek that they all had the universal translator yeah, in their exactly. head or something. Yeah, And in Doctor Who, the TARDIS automatically translates for everybody. Very, <laughs> very handy. Yeah. But there are two different times that the language barrier comes up. And they are both used to really powerful effect. Right. One to teach... Nebula lesson and one to teach everyone, <laughs> everyone yeah. a lesson. The second form was near the end of the movie. They end up rescuing a whole, I was going to say bunch of people, but it's so much more than that. Yeah, the planet's worth of people and animals and all kinds of creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the people are children. Yes. You know, when they're unloading all the people into nowhere, somebody asks, Quill, I, I thought we were limiting ourselves to higher life forms. And they were trying to keep the population limited. But when the right thing to do meant not limiting it, they didn't think twice about it. Yeah. It's, I really liked how the whole storyline with Nebula finding no benefit to Drax and Mantis and just getting irritated with their attitudes. I like how that all played out because it it showed growth for Nebula, provided a little bit of that uh, ever-so-needed redemption. Character development. Yeah, redemption. And character and development. 
I really thought that it showed growth in Mantis, too, because Mantis, like, stood up for herself for, like, the first time ever. You know, she's like, yeah, you find fault with everybody because you you don't want to look at yourself kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I just really appreciated her for standing up for not only herself, but Drax as well. Yeah, even though it was sort of a not welcome stand up for Drax. Yeah, I was like, forget, It's not forget, his fault, forget. he's stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, she said some really nice things about him, and I'm actually going to yeah. deal with that a little bit at the end. So we'll, we'll get back yeah. to that because it, it is an important theme. There was one thing that bothered me. Uh, it felt sort of forced. And mm-hmm. it's at the end, Rocket decides not to do something and says something that seemed out of place for his character to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to say anything since it, it'll end up being a spoiler. Yeah. We're probably already spoiled some pretty big things already, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we dive into our theme discussion, I do want to remind you that you can support our podcast financially. I want to thank our current patrons, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, all who give more than $5 a month. And most of them have been doing it for a very long time, and we really appreciate every single one of them. They make it possible for us to produce and maintain a website and watch movies and do all of the things that cost money involved in in doing this podcast. And we really appreciate them. You can also support this podcast by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N or patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Those are, go to the same place. It's just whichever one is easiest for you to remember. (laughs) We just appreciate the fact that there are people who value what we do. And so that is, you know, that that's why we enjoy our patrons so much. And we thank them so much. Yeah. So you would think that our first topic would be the reason why we would think it was woke. But it's not woke because. Yay. Yay. This is all about accepting your real identity. And. I, I thought this was so spectacular that in a culture where everybody is trying to deny their real identity and turn themselves into something they're not, mm-hmm. this is a movie that comes out that's all about reconciling yourself with who you really are. And that is so appreciated. Thank you, Marvel. <laughs> 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 or wh- whoever was that shoved the identity specialists out of the room when they were planning this movie. <laughs> Quick, lock the door. He's gone to the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. So as we were already discussing a little bit in our initial reactions, there are some characters that really make some changes. And there's some redemption arcs, as you like so much. But there's also Mm -hmm. just accepting who they are. And that is, you know, from the long drawn out history of Guardians of the Galaxy, especially Peter Quill and Mm -hmm. Rocket. There were some definite reconciling that needed to happen. So that's important things. And and it's nice to see. I, I kind of felt like this was the conclusion of Guardians of the Galaxy because yeah. of the fact that they kind of split up at the end. But I don't think we're at the end of seeing all of these characters. It's just they may no. not be a, yeah. a group going on. So, But because of the fact that they are dealing with who they are, they kind of split up at the end of the movie. But the big one, obviously, is Rocket, because this movie is really his story. I think that the world needs more of people accepting who and what they are, how they are, 
I don't deny that stuff like body dysphoria and gender dysphoria are real. No, of course not. But the the point is, is that everything that happens to us, everything that we're afflicted with, it's all part of God's plan. And I appreciate that in this movie, they made it so that accepting the results of your life was healing. So really, it felt like it was affirming the idea that you could be who you are and still serve your purpose in life. And as we know, our purpose is to glorify God. Yes. And enjoy him forever, if you happen to be doing the Heidelberg Catechism. (laughs) I wanted to throw that in there. I was thinking about it while you were talking about it. Oh, yeah. But the importance of that, of, of accepting everything that's happened to you and how it's changed you or how you are different from everybody else, it's all built around for all of the characters. Mm-hmm. It's built around them coming to terms with their past. Right. It's, you know, one third of the movie is flashbacks. Mm-hmm to Rocket's experimental days when he was being experimented on. And it's made clear in there that he is unique among all the experiments because he he basically solves in his head what the high evolutionaries' best scientists took. Can't figure out, yeah. Uh, yeah, forever to do. Yeah. And Peter Quill, at the start of the movie, he was dismissing his grandfather as a grumpy old man, I guess is the best way to put it. But he comes to terms with the idea that he really needs to reconnect with him so that he can close the wound. And I like the fact that Mantis provided the support to make that happen through her dialogue and actions. She wouldn't let it go. She kept pushing him over and over about it. You know, even in the worst of situations when they're like, they're in the middle of, he's trying to think of something else and, and she's like constantly yeah. bugging him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, that ties into how Nebula was yelling at Mantis and Drax later on. But Mantis really is the significant influence on the entire team. And, and you know, it's, it's the same with Nebula where she she has a really messed up past where yeah. Gamora was Thanos's favorite <laughs> Nebula was tortured yeah it was like good cop bad cop <laughs> but all from the same person to different suspects yeah there's a scene in the movie where Pete looks into her eyes i never noticed how <laughs> yes. beautiful you black eyes you had and she's like they were replaced by my father as a means of torture <laughs> <laughs> What I thought was interesting about Nebula's past is that she put it in perspective with Rocket's past, and I think that's what helped her kind of get a grasp on it. Just that yeah. She was reviewing the case file on Rocket, and, and she made the comment of, you know, he was tortured more than I was, and he never talks about it. He never you know, dwells mm-hmm. on it. And, and so I think that was what one of the pivotal things that helped her you know, instead of being the victim all the time, she's like always walking through life thinking of herself as the victim of her father's torture. And it allowed her to get past that and to put yeah. it into perspective is that she's not the only one, you know? 
has to live with that in her past. She's she's not in her sister's shadow anymore, too, because Gamora was a crucial part of the team until she died in Infinity War. Right. And she's no longer living in the shadow. She's come to her own as a A key member of the group. Yeah. 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 And a lot of her growth in this was understanding that part of being a leader means appreciating the contributions of of the team. Yeah, right. So, yeah, dealing with that as, you know, that everybody kind of ends up with, you know, an identity that that is rooted in their past and in their, their real selves. You know, it threw me back into, from a Christian perspective, who our identity is, because part of being a Christian is accepting the identity of the fact that you are a sinner, and mm-hmm. that you are depraved and incapable of anything outside of your sin self until you accept the gift of salvation through Christ. And so that, of course, brings up Galatians two nineteen through 20. It says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when we think of you know, the identity, our true identity, I think as Christians, obviously, we identify ourselves in Christ. And that is above and foremost, the most important thing as a Christian to remember yeah. that we have a new identity. We are dead to our, our old selves and we are alive in Christ. And that is a blessing because our old selves mm-hmm. are are sinful and depraved. And, you know, God doesn't look at all creation as he's choosing as he's predestining people to save. (laughs) He didn't look at me or look at you and go, well, uh, I guess they'll do. (laughs) Yeah. He chose us in full knowledge of all of our failures, all of our imperfections, all of our struggles. And we need to understand that we not only can serve God exactly as we are, but mm-hmm. are supposed to serve God exactly as we are and through him grow in our identity in Christ. I wish there was a way that we could communicate this to folks who, you know, <laughs> who suffer with gender dysphoria and are convinced yeah. that God made a mistake. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's sad because I do know that people are are uncomfortable in their own bodies. And I think our society, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, adds to that discomfort by telling them or grooming them to believe that it's okay to be that uncomfortable to the point that you must alter yourself physically in order to, to fit. Because that doesn't ever really work because it's not the physical body that they are unhappy with. And it never was. Yeah, it's their fallen nature that that gives them that skewed perspective. And changing their body is just going to end up adding to that loss of self, because now their body isn't what God made it to be. And they're living with all the consequences of mutilating their body to try and fit their their mental image of themselves. And it just compounds the problem. And it's sad what our society is doing to Instead of getting them help and counseling them, they just, mm-hmm. you know, 
move along with, you know, their mental illness. So it is. It's yeah. Sad. I, I appreciated the wisdom of how they showed that introspection helped them to understand what they needed to do to grow. Right. To move on. And it reminded me of Proverbs 25. Mm-hmm. Counsel in a person's heart is deep water, but a person of understanding draws it out. And basically it's saying the better you understand who you are in God, the better the counsel of your heart will be. So you mm-hmm. you really have to embrace how God made you and trust that he has a plan. Right. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I think those of you who maybe are just listening to our podcast and haven't watched the movie or for some reason are avoiding it or whatever, want to hear our review before you go see it. This is, I think, one of the most important things that, that goes on in this movie is this redemption of people's identities. And we haven't actually said it, but Rocket actually accepts that he's a raccoon in this, in this movie. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, because he's been telling everybody all along that he's not a raccoon. And when he goes back in and finds all the animal cages, he finds a cage full of baby raccoons. And it actually is written on the cage, you know, their their species name and that they're commonly called the raccoon. And, and it's a moment of proof to him that mm-hmm. where he came from and what he started as. And he can proudly say from then on that he is Rocket the Raccoon. And... It's a part of himself that he really fought against. He was really fighting against that identity. And I think that that's what a lot of people in our culture today, they really fight that true identity. It's something that they don't want to accept. And they fight against it at every instance. And yet it's it's the truth of who they are. Mm-hmm. That to me was just so, I was like, wait, is this a Disney movie? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before we get, I think, to what's going to end up being our biggest theme, I do want to remind you that you can share your feedback by going to our show notes, which will be for this episode at areyoujustwatching.com slash 140. You can comment there in the show notes, or you can call 513-818-2959 and leave a voicemail. You can also email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Or you can join our Facebook discussion group or our Discord community, which if you are in our Discord community and available at the hour that we're recording this, you could be joining us in our stage and listening to us live. I don't know whether that's actually a privilege or not, since I do edit out <laughs> a lot of our ums and bunny trails and stuff in our final um, podcast. <laughs> okay. So we really would appreciate if no matter where you listen to us, or if you were in our feed, or if you go to our website, or get us through one of the many streaming services that you can get our podcast through, like Spotify, Amazon Music, or any of the others. I really appreciate you sharing our podcast with other movie lovers and Christians, mm-hmm. movie loving Christians. Yeah, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because the more you spread the news about our podcast, the more listeners we get. And that just helps us, you know, grow as a podcast. And so we really appreciate you sharing us in your social media, you know, word of mouth or whatever. We just really appreciate that. And that's the last you're going to hear about that because I shoved it all into one quick little promo and we are going to move (laughs) into 
what I thought was probably the most in-your-face theme in this movie, which I have titled The Imperfect Science of Perfection. Uh. I thought that was kind of (laughs) catchy. I have not been a purveyor of the comics, so I'm not well-versed in the classic villains of Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think this is a classic villain. You were mentioning him before we started recording the high evolutionary. (laughs) But I thought this was immensely ironic that the high evolutionary is technically creating sophisticated life forms. (laughs) Yeah, through what exactly. he considers the process of evolution. So he's a creator, not an evolutionary. <laughs> so I, I thought that was, it's the same irony that I have always run into as a creationist I, a long time, my entire life, I have been a young earth creationist. And it tickles me to no end when I see people comment about like, using like, speciation and breeding and all this kind of stuff as proof of evolution when it's actually man-directed. It's like mm-hmm. whenever they use experiments or whatever to prove that evolution is true, it's like, no, you just proved that creation is true because you you manipulated something to make it happen. And therefore, you were the creator in that instance. So yeah. That is basically what's going on in this is that for hundreds of years, this psychopath really has been trying to create perfection and he's using all these tools of science that are at his disposal but in the end he is a mortal creator that is imperfect and creating a lot of mistakes he's a mad scientist he's very mad scientist and so anyway i was just highly tickled by that because like in most cases whenever they try to prove evolution they're only proving creation, and it always tickles me when I see that. Yeah. You know, I came out of this movie, I knew The High Evolutionary before I went in. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually read it in any of the comics he's been in, but I know he's been around for a lot of years. And before we started this recording, I looked it up and <laughs> discovered he's been around more years than I thought. <laughs> he, he was first created by Kirby and Lee back in 1966. Okay. Wow, yeah. So, you know, everybody accepts evolution. It, every secular person accepts evolution as a as a fact now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it doesn't, yeah, that's another story altogether. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't uh, raise any eyebrows now. But back in 1966, the high evolutionary was probably still a villain. <laughs> yeah. Probably still had negative connotations to the normal people that would encounter it. Right. It just, I think it speaks a little bit to the changing of the time. I honestly came out of this not even thinking of evolution as a Topic. as a theme. Yeah. Because yeah. what he was doing, it was not evolving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even when he would stick the organism in and say, sending it in the through, chamber. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I'm was going mutating. to guide this organism through millions of years of programmed evolutionary changes in a moment. And I'm like, well, that's actually not how evolution works. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if you believe in evolution, that's not how it works yeah, because it's Dar- not one Darwin organ- would be like, what's this? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not one organism that goes through all of the evolutionary changes. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's passing it on through supposed mutation and traits and, and reproduction. So, yeah, oddly enough, nothing of what he was doing was even remotely close to what even evolutionists believe. 
But yeah, I, I see what your point is, is that this wasn't even technically evolution, which I think is kind of the point I'm making is that yep, exactly. evolution doesn't work. And so in order to even create a high evolutionary, this atheist who doesn't believe in God, who wants to create things of uh, higher life forms, he has to actually go through the process of creation because evolution doesn't work. If you throw mutations at things long enough, they just get worse and worse and worse, not better. <laughs> You're trying to create something uh, more sophisticated. You have to add information and that is something the evolutionary process simply can't do. And so, you know, I don't want to get off on an evolution tangent, but it, it, <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious to me that this is even a thing. But another thing I saw in the evolutionary was something that I see a lot of non-believers blame God for. And that is that he just whimsically destroys his creation because it's not perfect. And that's what you see the evolutionary doing. You know, he creates a oh, civilization yeah. and it isn't perfect. It isn't the utopia that he's striving for. So he wipes it out and tries again. And even with Rocket and his friends, they were just a collection of mistakes. And he wasn't even thinking of them as being even useful other than to test things on. And so mm -hmm. he was planning on just destroying them. And that's the same attitude he had for everything, though. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing was ever good enough for him. So. Mm hmm. Which, you know, is sad because he's bringing that mortal view of, you know, the mistakes make everything imperfect, so therefore nothing is worth keeping. Yeah. But I've heard this argument used against, you know, the Christian, the Judeo-Christian God, you know, with the, the concept of the, the Great Flood, you know, where he mm -hmm. judges the earth and only saves eight people and the animals on the ark, which I believe was a real occurrence, because I'm a mm -hmm. young Earth creationist, explains all of the evidences in the planet that evolutionists use to create their long ages, but it it's really all, you know, points to uh, this global flood that happened. But the whimsical nature of the evolutionary is nothing like a just God who has to judge his creation. And he doesn't do it whimsically, when you read the scripture, he does it because their their actions have become so awful that they had to be judged and yeah. the earth had to be cleansed because he's just and what they were doing was just so abhorrent that it required that ultimate judgment. And But then at the end, he promised with the rainbow that he would not do it again by water. And right. so... Oh, yay. He'll do it with fire. Yeah. <laughs> well... He provides a way out. So for oh, Noah, what? Noah and his family, it was the ark. But after that judgment, he brought about the preordained ark of salvation, which was Jesus mm -hmm. Christ, which gives everybody the option of uh, salvation, which I'm going to circle back to later. But to me, this was, you know, this, this concept of, you know, God makes mistakes. Yeah. But... We are supposed to be perfect. I mean, that was the whole point of the law when it was given to the Israelites was, you know, this is the law. This is how you are to behave. And then Jesus, when he came on the scene, he doubled down on it in a very painful way. So if you mm. if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he reiterates over and over again, you know, he internalizes all of these 
real already impossible to follow laws that were in the Ten Commandments that were given to the Israelites. He's like, I'm saying you don't just do it. You don't think it. It's not even supposed to be in your heart. And then he finishes up that that part of the of the sermon by saying in Matthew 548, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So as the evolutionary is striving to perfection, it kind of mirrors what Jesus tells us that we're supposed to be perfect, but we can't be apart from him. And so in Romans 8, 19 through 22, it says, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And that is this this concept that the, that's obviously missed by the high evolutionary, that the whole universe is groaning. The creation is groaning because of sin, because it was created to be perfect, but sin marred it. And when Rocket says to him at the end, he's like, you didn't want things to be perfect. You just hated things the way they were. Mm-hmm. That's what the evolutionary was seeing, and he didn't understand. He was seeing an imperfect world that was marred by sin. At one point, he says the earth would be a fabulous place if it weren't for ignorance and bigotry. And it's like, that's true. It would be a fabulous place if it weren't for sin. And that is the first part that comes before repentance is recognizing the destructive power of sin. Yeah. Sorry. I just like ran through that so super fast. Was there anything (laughs) that you wanted to talk about in all of that? I wanted to comment the high evolutionary actually made me think of through a weird set of string of ideas. Mm -hmm. The story of Job. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a a musician by the name of Michael Card, who Mm -hmm. does beautiful, beautiful acoustic guitar. And he has this three song series called the Job Suite. Whenever I think of Job 38 through 41, when, which is when God is, basically slapping down Job and saying, hey, you have no idea how great, how massive, how incomprehensible I am. Mm -hmm. And he does it by listing all these impossible things. I mean, you know, people always argue, well, can God make a river so deep he can't cross it or a boulder so big he can't carry it? And the paradoxical things. things. Yeah, And the answer is actually yes, <laughs> he can, but then he can. But why would he? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and that's the point. Our minds can't comprehend it. And as I was watching The High Evolutionary, I was thinking, this guy doesn't have any clue what godhood actually is. Yeah. He's thinking godhood like the Asgardians or... The Celestials or, you know, Ego, any of Mm -hmm. those. Right. But none of them are even in the same ballpark. They're definitely little (laughs) G-gods. They're like Baal in the story of Elijah Elijah. and the the altars. It really, they're useless. They're powerless. It reminds me so much of, you know, people who get 
a little bit of power, either political or, you know, in a workplace or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they start to think that that power gives them authority to do stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Right. Yeah, there's no authority higher than them and that they're answerable to, which I thought was interesting because one of his flunkies tries to stop him. And there was the line, it says, Sire, you have an irrational obsession with this animal. You must stop for God's sake. I was like, that may be the first time I I caught that. (laughs) That phrase has ever, ever been used in a Marvel movie. You must stop for God's sake. And then his reply to that was, there is no God. That's why I stepped in. Yeah. And the arrogance of that, you know, it's like. We forget way, 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 way back in phase one. Mm hmm. Chris Evans had the line as Captain America. What is it? I, I, I've i never seen God, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had a, a very good, like, God-centric line. And it was the first Avengers movie, I think, when they met Thor. Yeah. The first time. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to bring up Colossians one fifteen through 20 before we move on. And I think that this this kind of wraps up this whole discussion really well. Because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a description of who Jesus is in the realm of from creator to sa- savior. And it's just so important as a Christian to recognize the role that Jesus plays. He's not a weak man who is just trying to twist creation to be perfect. And I'm going to s- actually slide directly into the scripture. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm so glad that we have Jesus and not the high evolutionary. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad that we don't have to worry about the world being destroyed without any chance of rescue salvation yeah there was another line which wasn't the evolutionary says it but it was actually a translation from a piece of music that he was listening to the phrase be not as you are but as you should be oh yeah i was thinking about that line and it made me think of the fact that we as christians are as we should be not as we are and that is probably the ultimate transformation that comes through Christ is that as we are, our old man is sinful as we should be is perfect in Christ. And mm-hmm. that is just, is something that the, the evolutionary and all his atheism and his belief that he was the ultimate power because there was no God to answer to as Christians. And as really as any unbelievers who are listening You should recognize that we are sinners, that that is who we are, 
there's nothing we can do that we live in an imperfect world because of sin that has marred it. Mm-hmm. We are imperfect people because we live in sin. We are born in sin. We are raised in sin. And that is our identity apart from Christ is sin. But we should not be as we are. We should be as we should be. Or we should. Yeah. We should be. The perfect as creations. we should be, <laughs> yeah, as, as we should be, the perfect creations that we can be through the shed blood of Christ. And with that, I'm going to merge directly into the last thing that I saw in this movie, which you sort oh, of yeah. alluded to in your initial impressions. The hands that guided the hands that created you. That was a line that was said in this near death experience where Rocket gets to meet. Lila, who was one of his friends in the cages when he was still a young experiment. Mm -hmm. She was an otter that had been experimented on, and she was so kind and motherly to the others. And she was looking forward to the time when their creator, the high evolutionary, was going to put them on the new earth where they could live in utopia and in perfection. And Rocket had to break the news to them that their creator, the high evolutionary, was planning to kill them all. And they didn't believe it. And in the process of their of his attempt to escape, they were all killed except for Rocket. Yeah. Through the whole movie, Rocket is dying and they're trying to save his life. And he comes to this near death experience and he meets Lila. And she speaks to him in such a beautiful way because she says, you know, the sky is beautiful and it is forever. And I've been flying with our friends. These were, you know, the the promises that they were looking forward to in this new earth. Mm -hmm. And then she gives him this, you know, you still have a purpose. You have because he wants to join them in this beautiful world. And she says, but you still have a purpose. And he's like, a purpose for what? They made us for nothing, just a bunch of experiments to be thrown away. And she replies, there are the hands that made us. And then there are the hands that guide the hands. Mm. My beloved raccoon, the story has been yours all along. You just didn't know it. And oh, that was such a beautiful thing to put in this movie. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, I was like, wow, that's almost Christian. And yeah, how did it get exactly. <laughs> there was the, the censors didn't look close enough yeah they missed that line they got stuck past them there is a greater purpose and there is always the authority over the hands so even if you feel like you're living a purposeless life and you don't see god working know that he has a plan for you and that his hands are always guiding he is sovereign over his creation and Regardless of the upbringing you had, the past, no matter how ugly it mm-hmm. is, oh, goodness, there is a purpose. One of the core scriptures for many stages in my life has always been Romans eight twenty eight. I know I've quoted it here plenty mm-hmm. of times. It is worth reminding everyone that that's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It's important, and it helps us through some really rough times. But it goes on. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, 
he also glorified. And it goes back to me for God knew what we were biting off. Mm-hmm. And he intended us in all of our fallacy to be saved regardless. Yeah. Yeah, and I picked out Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 for this. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we have a purpose. We're created for good works, and we are his workmanship. So we can't declare that we're mistakes. And we know, I mean, you kind of referred to it earlier as the raccoon in the room, you know, whether Rocket is a sentient being because he's an animal. I think that that maybe he's more of a metaphor. I mean, he, he oh, literally yeah. is a raccoon in, in the Guardians of the Galaxy. But he's one of the smartest people in the the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, in the group. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> he obviously proves that he's smarter even than the High Evolutionary at one point. <laughs> He was created for a purpose, and the hands that created him in, you know, his past, you know, this flawed creator who thinks that he can make perfection out of imperfect Mm -hmm. material, but he had a greater purpose because the hands that created the creator had a purpose for him. And, And that is, I guess the ultimate comfort there is for all of us that we have a purpose. And that sends me back to another thing you alluded to earlier, which was Drax as a character. I mean, there Mm -hmm. was this whole discussion between Mantis and Nebula about how stupid he was. And he's standing right there listening to them (laughs) talk about how stupid he is. And one of the things that Mantis says to defend him is that he makes us laugh and he loves us. How is that a liability? And then one another point, she says, but he's the only one of you who doesn't hate himself. And this is the person who can feel everybody's emotions and yeah. influence them to some degree. She knows the innermost feelings of every person in the Guardians of the Galaxy because she experiences those feelings with them. And Drax must be an incredibly peaceful person for her to be around because his emotions are so simple, you know? He feels whatever he feels at that moment, and he's not, like, tortured by past or self-guilt or hate or all of these things that everyone else feels. And it must be very restful for her to be around him. (laughs) But it made me think of Romans 12, 9 through 10. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters and take the lead in honoring one another. And Mantis is, I mean, through this whole movie, she is this character of the speaks peace and, you know, encourages these analysis of self that leads to Mm, healing. And it makes me think it's like, that's how we should all be as Christians. It's so hard because like me, I'm very, I'm self-critical and I'm also very judgmental. And it's something that I, I like to tell everybody that my spiritual gift is being able to see things as they really are. But that can be okay. also very painful because then you want to tell people 
<laughs> how things uh, really are. Yeah. <laughs> and that can't always be done in a very peaceful and loving way. And so it can come across as criticism and judgment. And so, you know, you kind of have to learn how to maybe be a little bit more like Mantis and being able to speak those criticisms in love. Exactly. (laughs) And building people up instead of tearing them down. We're not just told to speak the truth. We're told to speak the truth in love. In love, right. Yeah. Anyway, this, you know what? This was such a beautiful movie. Yeah. I really loved that afterlife scene. Yeah. As they were talking about all the things that they wanted to do and they were talking about, you know, how beautiful the sky was, this was all stuff that they were looking forward to. Mm-hmm. That they felt that they had been promised. Now, we didn't actually hear the high evolutionary promise any of them, any of this, but they, you know, they, they were groaning <laughs> for it. They were wanting it. Yeah. And well, they that were living reminded, in dark, dingy cages full of trash. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> with the, you know, straw on the floor and everything. Yeah. And then, you know, in the afterlife scene or the near death scene. It promises an afterlife, but it, yeah, it's a near death. Yeah, near exactly. Death Lila says the sky is beautiful and it, and it's forever, referencing back to these previous discussions. Mm-hmm. And I've been flying with our friends because that was their plan when Rocket was going to break them out, was mm-hmm. that they would all just go off and fly in the sky. And, and that put me in mind of Romans eight twenty three and twenty four. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as first fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Mm. And you have the realization of that hope in this scene, and and it was particularly touching for me. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole part, like I said, you know, is it is definitely a... I don't know how it got past the censors because it's it's speaking to a, a spiritual afterlife that, you know, they allude to afterlifes in other movies, but not nearly in such a pure form as it is here. And, and that yeah. is, that was just so heartening and so beautiful. There's just something about this movie that speaks to the heart of, well, I, I would believe that speaks to the heart of the Christian because it, it shows the imperfectness of the world that we live in. You know, and how that striving for perfection inside of the human condition leads to endless frustration because you simply can't attain the perfect when you're mired in sin. In fact, I was just thinking of the comment I just made about that, that they lived in cage, in dark cages, mm-hmm. in trash. And I was like, really, that's the condition we live in. We don't yeah. think of it, you know, because we see beauty in the world occasionally, but we live in dark cages surrounded by trash. That's what our existence is because we live in an utterly depraved, sin-cursed world that is affected by the sin. There's a cartoon that by one of my favorite cartoonists, Dan Letha, he had done, he was kind of mocking the hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful. And Mm -hmm. the, in the cartoon, and I'll have to look it up so we can share it in our show notes, but it shows like this beautiful nature scene and, you know, the, they've got this, like, the song, you know, all things bright and beautiful. And then in the next frame, it shows, like, this hawk diving down and killing the rabbit, you know, and, you know, blood going everywhere. And it's like, this is what we live in. It's like, we think it's beautiful, 
but it is cursed by sin. And if you put it in the character of Rocket, where they're living in squalor, absolute squalor, never even seeing light, and they have no clue of what this beautiful world would even be, because as you've said in this verse, you know, that they're living in in this hope of of something they, they can't even comprehend. And that's what, you know, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be something we can't even comprehend because we're living in dark cages surrounded by trash, you know? Well, I think that we've probably beaten the horse to death on this one because there probably were other things we could talk about, but those were the really big things that that I wanted to really impress on, you know, the the concept of the evolution and the imperfect world and, you know, the the concept of the creator who has a purpose for you. So I think those were probably the the biggest deals in this movie. And and it still mm-hmm. ut- utterly shocks me that this was a Disney movie that allowed yeah. us to, to discuss all of this. It was a Marvel movie more than it was a Disney movie, which is a pleasant change. Yeah. Same difference. Because, you know, and- the, first, the first Avengers movies, none of them were Disney. Yeah, that's right. Disney bought Marvel about halfway through this. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wanted to bring up, and I had kind of shared this in our Discord, you know, some of the things that the, the article about how they tried to get Chris Pratt fired from the Guardians, you know, the... the oh, the, yeah, because he attends a church that is... Anti-gay, oh, supposedly. Bible-believing. Yeah, Bible-believing. Anti-gay, oh, no. He's very vocally Christian, and he mm-hmm. he's one of the few Hollywood stars that has able, been able to survive being vocally Christian. And I shared this article in our Discord chat about how the producer of the Guardians of the Galaxy said that there would be no other uh, Star Lords, that Chris Pat had that role, you know, as long as that yeah. role is in Marvel. And I really appreciated the fact that they're standing by him because it, it is really fascinating, you know, that the society keeps trying to cancel people who stand up for a biblical Christian worldview. And it's great that not only does Chris Pratt stand up for that and manage to survive, and he's played a lot of really good roles in a lot of really good movies. He's still getting roles, and that's super encouraging. Yeah. But that then they can then produce a movie like this that has these underlying themes in it. And so just encourage all of our listeners to continue to not just watch. Also, keep an eye on our website. I also watched Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, with the thought of we might have done the podcast on that one. And I'm thinking I may write a blog post for our website about the things that I saw on that. I don't think we'll ever do a review of it for the podcast. But if you are interested in hearing what I thought of the movie, and I will caution you here, this is not a Christian movie. It is actually an anti-God movie. If you Hmm. thought that it was a classic book for kids, I warn you, it was a classic book for kids that was mostly banned from schools. So I will hope to, you know, sneak into my schedule sometime in the next month, a review for that for our website. So keep an eye out for that. And with that, Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Mark. And don't just watch. 
The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.